the iShots Podcast, episode 21. Hello everyone, my name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to this episode of the VI Shots podcast. I'm very excited today to have uh, two uh, guests on my show. One is uh, Stephen Mercer, who's a senior software engineer with National Instruments, and he works with uh, LabVIEW R&D. And I also have Alan Smith, a senior systems engineer, uh, who's with the Systems Engineering Group. Guys, uh, Stephen, welcome. Good to be here, Michael. Alan. Hi, Michael. Glad to be here. So uh, today, uh, the focus of this uh, episode is going to be on uh, frameworks, and uh, specifically, um, there's been a lot of talk on uh, a framework that's been uh, released with the latest version of LabVIEW, LabVIEW 2012, and it's it's, uh, it's a framework that's uh, you know has VIs that are in the palette. You can access them from there um, and build your uh, your code uh, with that framework, and it also um, is available as a project template with uh, LabVIEW's 2012 project templates. And, yes, it is. Yeah. So uh, now there's there's been a lot of talk about frameworks and there's different types of frameworks. Um, so Stephen, if you can just give us a, sort of in a nutshell, we're going to go into a little deeper uh, later on, but uh, for now, just give us a little outline as to uh, what this new framework is that ships with LabVIEW. Well, the main purpose of the Active Framework was to give us a way to define multiple uh, modules, code modules that are going to run independently, but need to have well-defined communication lines between them. And what Alan and I observed in the community was a lot of hand-rolled solutions that kept running into problems with various shutdown problems, race conditions, and such. And this framework was meant to make such code much easier to generate and much more reusable over time. Okay, um, so this this framework uh, didn't just come out of nowhere. I guess it evolved over time, and um, I think you you worked a lot with Alan to sort of get this framework, uh, you know, ruggedized and sort of something that we could we could all use. Can you talk a little bit about the history of that? Well, um, prior to my coming to National Instruments, I've, I've actually been here about two years. Uh, I worked for uh, one of our partners in New Mexico uh, called KTEC. Uh, I had um, <clears throat> prior to uh, uh, talking with Stephen about this, I had done uh, a number of systems using third-party solutions for bi-reference classes, and I'd solved some pretty large-scale uh, problems uh, with that solution. Um, when LabVIEW OO came along, I wanted to migrate to a more native LabVIEW solution, um, but I really wanted to keep that in the context of those bi-reference classes, and so there was there the bi-reference architectures. So there was there was some struggle and some conflict there. Uh, by coincidence, I moved to the Austin area, but was still working for that uh, prior employer. And I presented at a local user group meeting on uh, an architecture, a, an attempt to solve that problem that I was working on. And uh, Stephen approached me and said that that architecture was the bane of his existence. Uh, that led to um, uh, him laying out his ideas oh, for a new framework, uh, which I was very excited about because I could see where it really was sort of a natural evolution from what I had been doing for about the past five years. Um, 
there was some concern when we first started laying this out that uh, it wouldn't scale well. The Actor Framework might have some issues with that. Uh, I, but right away, I could see where we were just basically coming to, we were evolving a natural solution that was already scaling very well. So I was actually very excited when this came along. Uh, Stephen could probably say more about where he got some of his ideas originally. Yeah, I, I get a lot of emails from customers that say, you know, things like, hey, I've built this VI hierarchy. Would you take a look at it, critique it? And most of the time I have to reply back, you know, I work in R&D, I have limited time for external projects. Um, and if you really need help, escalate through either an AE or through some community like Lava or the NI forums. This particular case, um, I had been getting over the previous two years, multiple of these custom hand-rolled, uh, what I'll call task manager type of architectures, where I'm going to start a couple tasks and I'm going to create some communication channels between them. and I had looked at a lot of them and just gotten this bad taste in my mouth. I kept seeing the same bugs in multiple ones that I would have to talk to people and explain what was going on. And I was also at the same time doing a lot more investigation into what we'll call the fundamentals of data flow and how other programming languages solve various problems and some of the uh, uh, papers out in the world on parallelism. And I'd started to bubble this idea of creating a module as an as an entity itself a first class entity of labview and my background in object oriented programming i look to anything that's an entity is can i define it as a class and give it some well defined form and then i ran into alan and he was willing to let me uh essentially feed him a number of weird ideas and see if they would stick and uh i was kind of excited that he was willing to do some essentially computer science research to roll out a very different architecture than most LabVIEW programs ever use. Oh, it was a lot of fun. I, I had a great time doing it, I have to say. <clears throat> it really was fun taking, essentially, what we in the community had been doing for quite a while, and you know these cute message handlers that are really kind of the, where Actor Framework grew out of, and, and really run with it and really do what we can to, to really improve their reliability and their reusability and, and just generally all around improve the experience. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. You were you were asking Michael the basis of the actor framework. Essentially, it's I want to spin up multiple state machines and let each one of them do its own state transitions and processing and have some well-defined communication lines among them and make sure that they actually shut down cleanly when told to stop. Right, um, Alan. You uh, you said you worked with other frameworks in the past, um, and a lot of us have as well. Uh, I've I've worked with different frameworks and. Uh, what are what are some, what are the some of the pitfalls of existing frameworks out there that you know the Actor Framework uh, overcomes? Um, I'm sure there's some issues that you guys have seen with existing stuff out there. Uh, yeah, and I can I'll speak to this uh, coming from uh, my own particular experience. Uh, like I said, I was using a lot of I was using third-party solutions for bi-reference classes, and some of the issues that you run into there are um, really have to do with how they protect their data space. Uh, and you you run into a very real risk of you know creating either deadlock or uh, race conditions as you handle your data. Uh, if I have two of these by reference classes and they share the reference, they they they, share, they trade the references, and you know by reference class A tries to access data from B while B is trying to access from A, they will deadlock. Um, if you want to work around some of those deadlock conditions, you wind up doing things like you have to unlock your data work on your data, then, then check it back in, essentially, within the class. And that can lead to, uh, if you get two parties trying to access uh, that class at the same time, 
you'll get a race condition where you don't necessarily know the state of the class. Um, I mean, like I, and I think for for many years, uh, we in the community that were working with these solutions, you know, we we knew about these hazards and we simply coded for them. Uh, we knew they existed. We knew where the pitfalls were, and was sort of by intuition could avoid most of them. But most is not all, and uh, you know, eventually, you know, they'll, uh, all of the systems that I built like this at some point had some sort of an issue. Vector <clears throat> um, framework avoids a lot of that because we're dealing with queues. Uh, as our as our primary backbone for communication, um, because we are operating uh, in a data flow safe environment, you know, I, I send a message to the actor. The actor decides when it's going to process it, decides how it's going to respond to that message. Um, the actor is responsible for protecting its own data space, so it really can't be changed from the outside uh, or, or manipulated from the outside. <clears throat> so um, that's that's one of the big things that I like about it. Some uh, some of the um some of the pitfalls of sort of existing systems is when you're passing data around, there's usually like the variant uh, that we use mm-hmm. as the sort of the generic <laughs> container of data. Um, oh, yeah. And then, and then you have to unflatten that. So, I mean, Active Framework kind of avoids these by using classes, right? Yeah, it gives us a, it gives us a strictly typed messaging system, uh, which there are pros and cons to, obviously. Some people think it's a pain to, to have to, you know, roll custom VIs to make sure you have that type safety. Um, it's, it's a trade-off, but... Yeah. In general, we find that it's a uh, it, it works out nicer because you can actually check your code than than with some of the variant approaches. Yeah, I that's something that I've run into. Uh, you know, doing these queued message handler based or these reference based systems. <clears throat> you know, queued message handlers especially, right? We'll do the the you know here's a variant with data. Here's the message string that tells you what you're going to do. And you know, if I had a dollar for every time I introduced a bug into my system because I got that message string wrong type something incorrectly, I would have a beach house somewhere. Um, that's just a very, very common error. Uh, getting your data wrong in the variant is another very common thing to do. You know, or the flattened string. Some people do flattened string instead. Um, these are very common, uh, very common, and they're, they're, they're edit time errors, and they're easy to do, and no matter how skilled you are, you're subject to them. You know, as you're facing a project deadline, especially these things will crop up, and, and tracking them down can be, can be hard. Um, actor framework eliminates the possibility of misforming your message. You can send it to the wrong place. Uh, I mean, we haven't eliminated that problem yet, but um, no, really, I mean, we've eliminated like entire class of bugs uh, with the framework. And and the whole uh, framework itself kind of works with um, the concept of asynchronous messaging, correct? Yeah, that's something that came out of a lot of my, my study is if you have a reference object, you call functions on it. So you unlock the reference, you make some calls, and you, you put it back in the DVR, um, or the single element queue, or whatever reference-based system you want to work with. It's You're actually directly calling messages on this. Uh, the Active Framework says, well, we don't want to actually make a synchronous function call because there's sort of this competition for the, act, for the actor's attention. And so instead, I'll just send you uh, a message that says, I've currently got this current state, um, and you should respond to that however you respond to that. And then when you receive the message, you, oh, hey, he's in this new state. That probably means he wants this information. I'll send him back an, as- an asynchronous message. And so what this results in is data that behaves a lot more like data flow because only one process has their fingers on it at any given time. So we get rid of a lot of, of race conditions there with you know simultaneous. We also get rid of a lot of deadlocks because we're not doing any synchronous holds. And uh, 
we make sure that an actor is never hung. It's always doing whatever it's supposed to do, and it's never sitting there waiting for a response from someone else. Right. Given those three advantages, uh, it, it seemed like a, a worthy area of research, and that's, that, that kind of is what led us uh, into the direction of the actor framework. Yeah, and I'll, I'll interject here just uh, on the value of that. Uh, so much of LabVIEW coding out in the broader world uh, is based on cute message handlers or producer-consumer loops or other types of, of parallelism. Uh, it's one of LabVIEW's strengths is that parallelism comes very easy to us. It's essentially free. Uh, so building frameworks that respect that and work with that and enhance that experience uh, is really valuable. Uh, that's, that's what we were trying to do here is, is to, to really leverage most, you know, this is what we do. This is how we write LabVIEW applications. And so the, the framework really had to, uh, had to honor that. So uh, a few years before LabVIEW 2012, you had this framework um, as sort of an, an external tool that was yep. installed as a package. And, you know, people were downloading it and trying it out and adding it into LabVIEW. Um, now with 2012, it's, it's fully released and, and I guess supported with the main uh, LabVIEW trunk, I guess. Um, so what, how have you seen the reception on it now, now that it's sort of part of the product? Um, the response has been very good. Uh, we've seen a number of uh, users pick it up. Uh, there's been a lot of activity on the on the ni.com form where Alan and I post it. Um, we've had requests for various feature extensions, some of which we've had time to work on, some of which are you know still coming. But uh, no, it's it's been very helpful to a good number of people, and I've been pleased with it. I can add a few data points to that. Uh, system engineering is a support function. Um, I work with uh, customers who are contemplating uh, using National Instruments products uh, or have made some initial commitment and now need additional support to, uh, to, see, to see through. And I've seen uh, support requests come to my desk that are Active Framework-based, uh, either for more information or uh, to actually help uh, to, to, to build their systems. Uh, I've also seen growing interest among uh, our, our you know, various engineers in the, our support groups. Uh, uh, so yeah, that's additional data. It, it is being used in the community. I've also I also have some internal customers within National Instruments. Uh, you know, we eat our own dog food. Uh, we do uh, a number of our groups use LabVIEW as their primary tool, and they're starting to look at Actor Framework as well, uh, which pleased me. Okay, so just uh, to to step back a little bit for um, a lot of people that have heard about Actor Framework, but they're kind of afraid to jump in because they're always weary of sort of new frameworks and ideas, um, which, you know, you shouldn't be. <laughs> but um, one thing that we need to make sure that people understand is that um, the Actor Framework uses classes, right? LabVIEW classes. And, that is correct. And so what are the kind of the basic requirements for someone to jump into the Active Framework? What do they need to know? Uh, of, of course, they need to know classes. Is, is there anything else? Well, it, it definitely helps to understand uh, LabVIEW classes, uh, how they work. Uh, understanding when and why you use inheritance, I think, is really important to uh, getting the most out of the framework. Uh, you can certainly get started uh, without that knowledge, um, but it's definitely a help. Uh, basically, as you when you're doing the design of an actor, uh, that's primarily how it differs from a cute message handler is is what you can do with inheritance. Um, but I think if you have if you have that basic concept and you know cute message handlers work, uh, you're you're pretty much set. Um, so where where I see the most difficulty in adopting the framework is with uh, 
developers who've been working with LabVIEW for you know several years and have a pretty good you know they have a, they have a very set concept of what a, a, a LabVIEW application should look like. Uh, I've actually had more experience with or, or better experience with uh, younger developers who uh, are a little more flexible in their <laughs> outlook. Less stubborn. I wouldn't call it less stubborn. <laughs> uh, more along the lines of. It, it, they have more information, and it takes a lot longer to figure out how that information fits into the new system uh, than the guys who are building up their framework from scratch. Because none of the actor framework really invalidates your previous knowledge of architecture of LabVIEW systems. It's just that we've formalized some of those bits and pieces uh, so that they have well-defined roles, and there are tools that just automatically create some of those pieces for you rather than you building them from scratch using whatever customized work you've, you've previously had. So it's 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 much more that they just they've got a lot more you know history that they have to figure out how does how does everything that I've had before fit into the new system uh, and that just takes a little bit more time uh, but eventually once they do get it there there are the stronger programmers it just takes them longer to get to that you know to to climb back up on that horse as it were right that's um, absolutely right that's mm-hmm. been my experience as well yeah um, I've I've used. Uh, you know, various state machine architectures. And I guess one thing that uh, took me a while to figure out is how to get user interfaces working together with the actor framework, I guess, was one thing for me. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that one's always a fun one. Uh, because it's what the actor framework practically requires is the system that everybody eventually comes to when they're working on their own without the actor framework, as far as this fairly heavy handed wall. Uh, it's just we require it from the outset and a lot of people keep fighting against it going surely there's an easier way to do this and I keep going if there is nobody's found it <laughs> yeah but the great thing is is that once you once you're comfortable with that exchange between your user interface and your actors uh, you open up a lot of things become a lot of very important things become much easier uh, implementing a model view controller system and actor framework is a natural fit uh, I've done it. I've seen other developers do it with Actor Framework. Uh, you get to a very clean solution very quickly. I was actually speaking with um, uh, one of my internal customers, one of the uh, somebody within National Instruments that I'm advising. And he's working on an Actor Framework project, and he had pretty much the identical experience. It was very obvious to him uh, where and how to uh, implement uh, his user interface, and it was just he had gotten over that wall that Stephen had talked about. And so he could see where the parts and pieces would fit together. Now, some uh, some large customers, or maybe not so large, that use kind of the create applications for mission critical systems and such, um, would be thinking about this framework and wondering, you know, the, about the stability and support moving forward and sort of the underlying communication framework. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? So there's nothing magical in this actor framework. I have occasionally in the past, you know, my role in the community has always been helping the uh, the, the cutting edge users. I've uh, and I've you know rolled out various things where I take advantage of behind the scenes tools that we have here at National Instruments. The actor framework uses none of that. It is built out of queues. It is built out of LabVIEW classes. It is uh, built out of case structures. Um, it is plain vanilla LabVIEW code through the entire, I think it's seven DVIs total uh, that make up the entirety of the framework. Um, And that includes some of the nice little custom extensions that are optional pieces that you could roll in if you want. Um, There's no, if you know what they are, uh, well, there's just no, there's no calls to private functions. There's no password protected block diagrams. There's no calls to DLLs written out in C code or anything. Uh, So in that sense, um, it's, 
you know, it's code that you could support yourself if, you know, any, anything happened in National Instruments just evaporated. It is pure LabVIEW code. Um, as far as new features coming down the pike, um, I've so this started off as my own personal project. This is this is has never been an assignment from National Instruments that I should go work on this. This was something I picked up and ran with on my own. Um, and while NI agreed to adopt it into LabVIEW for LabVIEW 2012 and make it a proper part of of LabVIEW so that everybody only has to refer to one copy of the libraries and such, uh, any further R and D effort on it remains mine and now Alan's. Uh, kind of personal and side project, although in system engineering, Alan's got a little bit more freedom to call it his mainline work, which is kind of cool. Um, but we've what we've kind of pioneered is something that's very different from most features that National Instruments has, has done before, is we're essentially beta testing and experiments with the new framework on the NI.com website. So when I've got a, a new harebrained scheme for something I'd like to do to the framework to add some new bit of functionality or something, we have already posted, uh, so version 4.0 is what shipped with LabVIEW 2012. We've posted version 4.1. Um, version 4.2 experimental is now posted. Um, and we actually maintain an experimental fork of saying, hey, if you want to pull this down, play with it, let us know some feedback. But you should in no way think of this as the final, you know, what we would ever actually ship until we get enough user feedback that says, yeah, that that seems like the right way to implement this new feature. Um, so we've been doing a pretty good job of of leveraging the community in that sense, and this is this is to the best of my knowledge, kind of a first for for LabVIEW and possibly for National Instruments generally. Yeah, I think that is pretty cool, actually. Um, and also, you've gone one step further and sort of um, put a, a a template out there for if someone wants to create their own fork or permutation, they can actually, right? Yes. yes. Uh, we wanted to make it so that they could create, you know, here, let me edit a whole bunch of the VIs, and now I will create a VI package that has exactly the same installation signature um, that the main one does, and there's actually some protections in there to make sure you don't install two of them on top of each other that uh, we kind of hand-rolled into the into the VI package uh, itself uh, to, to make, make it so that it was easy to install one and uninstall the other, and it creates automatic backup copies so that you can always get back to the original installed VIs. Um, but we wanted to make it so that people could adjust these VIs and build custom versions. And, you know, let's say you don't like the queues or you think you've got a more direct way of transferring data, you can go in and add a filtered queue or, you know, change, remove the priority queue entirely and say, look, I'm going to do it with a straight queue because it's, it is actually a faster implementation and let's see what I can do with that. Um, or if you don't like my implementation of the priority queue and you've got a better one to do that. We wanted to make all of those options possible. That's that's why we don't have any passwords on it. That's why we didn't use any behind-the-scenes features. And because it has standard LabVIEW, it, it works on RT as well, correct? Yes, it does. I worked with a customer this last summer, um, and it actually kind of goes to uh, reinforce Stephen's point earlier and your question about uh, mission-critical systems. Um, this customer will uh, will we'll be publishing something about this customer in the not too distant future. It's a smaller system, but it involves uh, high voltages and radiation sources. And uh, he is in fact uh, using uh, uh, compact Rio systems. Uh, uh, a lot of the mission critical, really hardcore stuff is of course down on the FPGA, but all of his supervisory functions and some of them are very important, like watchdogs, uh, reside uh, on the RT targets themselves uh, as actors. Um, and that's been a, a fairly complex and involved system, and we've been very successful. Uh, the customer is uh, shipping units to his customers and is very excited. 
So, um, Alan, um, since you've been working with uh, a few customers and you've you've seen this this in action, um, uh, what what are the, some of the things you uh, you've seen? And as far as you know, designing active framework systems, what are what are the things that uh, people should look for? Okay, well, um, that's a really good question. Um, as we've as we've been saying, saying this whole interview, uh, this is our our. Um, we think this replaces queued message handlers in a lot of applications. Not entirely. There are some places where the queued message handler is still going to be the right answer. But if you're looking at a system and you're thinking, uh, you know, gee, I really need to have, I want to solve this problem with several queued message handlers talking to each other. Again, that goes back to uh, this use case that we've all been working on for for about the last ten years. Um, that is, that's that's our our primary target for the actor framework. Uh, and, and so that's the point where you need to start thinking, okay, do I want to make the jump to AF? Um, some specific subsets of that would be, say, if you want to use a, a model view controller. Uh, Actor Framework lends itself very well to that. Uh, you can separate the model from the, uh, the view and controller. It's a very, very easy thing to do. Um, uh, do you want a hardware uh, abstraction layer? Uh, this turned out to be uh, something uh, that came out of the design, thought of the design that we were very happy to see. Uh, it becomes very easy to write, say, an actor that implements a control algorithm but knows nothing about the, the specifics of the hardware, and then children of that actor implement the specific hardware calls, and you wind up with a very clean hardware abstraction layer or, or a way to, to inject a simulator. Uh, my uh, This other customer that I referred to uh, did that a lot for debugging. Um, uh, <clears throat> Uh, it also turns out, and this was kind of a, a, an accidental discovery of mine, that implementing the state pattern is very easy to do uh, with actors. Uh, so you can have an actor that uh, changes its behavior. So you can send it a message, and it responds in a certain way, and then it changes state and responds in a different way to the same message. It's actually very easy to do uh, in the 4.1 release of actor framework. Uh, so I mean, these are all kinds of... Uh, you start from that big, cute message handler, and then if you have some of these these more specific cases, that reinforces the argument for actor framework. Uh, I like it as a um, when I'm looking at an application and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I really need some by reference behavior here. That's another good indication to me uh, where maybe an actor might be appropriate. Um, the actor framework gives you an individual actor will give you that same by reference behavior that we want in most cases. Um, but it's it is completely data flow safe because of the way it's implemented. Uh, they have their own, and it works because you know the actor has its own memory space, which is what you want in a bi-reference class. Um, but the protection for that data is being provided by queues and by the action of the operate of the actor itself, and not by the action of external agents acting on it. Um, so these are all these are all kind of my queues. Um, you know, I mean, I was using early versions of Actor Framework in my projects before I came to NI, and this is what I've been taking to my customers, and I've seen them be very successful uh, with. You know that kind of, of uh, that kind of guidance. Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, I think uh, our listeners should be aware that this is a pattern that you know you can choose to use or not use. Um, you have to sort of make that judgment call. Um, it's definitely not a one size fits all kind of solution. I think. Oh, definitely, definitely not. Um, having said that, if you if you study what the actor framework actually is um, and you understand it, there are a bajillion different variations on that theme and if you understand the messaging why we did it the way we did when you go to roll some lighter weight solution for some particular scenario uh, I think you'll understand the the potential pitfalls a lot better um, and hopefully not be making the mistakes of the the customers that I was observing that led me to develop this thing in the first place 
Yeah, it definitely solves uh, many problems that um, that uh, the old frameworks have. I mean, just the fact that you have a built-in mechanism to launch this asynchronous process and communicate with it and then shut it down and, and so on. I mean, just putting in the plumbing for that on any system is, is a pain. So um, Very much so. Yeah. I, I have... I have written small actors whose sole purpose was to do that just because I already had the, the launch actor mechanism worked out for me. So, <laughs> right. Um, so Alan, uh, you must be, uh, uh, happy that you've kind of, uh, created your own job description there <laughs> with the actor. You know, it, 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 it kind of worked out that way. I am, uh, so far, the person to go to uh, in systems engineering for actor framework support. I am working to change that um, because I think as AF grows in popularity, the support demands are going to go up, and it's you know more than I'll want to handle. Uh, but uh, it, it, it is actually how I came to National National Instruments. So I came to their attention uh, through working with Stephen, uh, the manager of systems engineering, uh, heard about me and made me an offer. So right, it's it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and then and the framework is uh, gaining in popularity. There's a lot of discussion on the forums, and um, I noticed you guys are uh, adding um, some more features and kind of uh, fleshing things out. Uh, for example, I noticed there's like a, a network streams version where you communicate across systems as well. That's kind of a, a beta. Yeah, I we guess. have we have two different uh, network approaches uh, depending on your use case. Uh, one is for I already have an actor on a remote system, and I'm going to establish. Basically, I have two independent actor actor trees, and I need to establish communication between them. This is your common. You know, you have a host connecting to an RT system, and you need to attach the head. And then the other use case is I'm actually going to be distributing my application across some sort of grid and doing dynamic spin up of these actors. Uh, the that's the that's the one that's more in beta. Uh, and this is my solution for what I have long wanted to build in LabVIEW, uh, which is the distributed computing me mechanism uh, for I take a computing task and I have a bank of machines and I'm going to start fielding out each one and getting its own task and then funneling those back to the cent central coordinator. Um, the, the, the former is pretty well defined um, and ha we've had for, I guess, all, basically since NI week. Um, yeah, I, I wrote that. Uh, I knew we were going to need that. I knew uh, after the framework ship that people were going to want, you know, revisiting these large distributed systems that uh, I've seen built in the past. People were going to expect to be able to connect their uh, uh, independent distributions. Uh, the most typical model is uh, a host computer with a user interface talking to an RT target. Um, I've written several of those systems. I know lots of people who've written several of those systems. Uh, you know, first they were communicating uh, with uh, uh, TCP/IP, and then later with the straight-up network streams. And I knew we needed to have an actor framework-friendly solution. Uh, so that was, you know, on the subject of side projects, that was something that I wrote in my spare time in systems engineering uh, because I knew we would need it. And since then, I've had a chance to deploy it with customers and see it in action. Uh, so it's gone through. It's gone through a couple of bug revs. I'm getting ready to push out uh, another version of that in the not too distant future. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's the great, one of the great things about actor framework is it really becomes easy to, to modularize these functions like, you know, uh, a linked network actor, uh, which is what I call it, or, or a state actor or something that that can, this discrete component that I can distribute that we can put on our, our, uh, uh, community forum and, you know, people will use it and if they like it, great. Uh, or maybe they'll learn something from it and we'll go write their own that is a better fit for their solution. So, so one, uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> 
So uh, one one last question. Um, uh, I guess either one of you can answer it. But uh, there's uh, you know one one big problem with these frameworks is is debugging and kind of um, finding out what messages are going around, what processes are running, and uh, looking at the data in different locations. So what what I, suggestions do you guys have for sort of debugging the active framework? Uh, so this is what I've observed. Uh, a couple of a couple of pointers to keep in mind. I mean, this is you know this is just LabVIEW code. This is you know at its core, it's a it's a much improved Qt message handler. So a lot of what you already know applies. Uh, where I have seen people get into trouble is um, when they get a system. They, they want to put the system together. They want to bring the system up and they want to run it complete in its complete form and watch it go. And and they expect to be able to follow along and see what's happening. And you can do that, but you need to keep a couple of things in mind. Um, the first is it's almost never the message transmission. Uh, I've seen several people in several different situations, and, and I've made the same mistake myself, knowing better. You want to follow the data flow through the system, so you'll try to see where a message is sent from one actor, and you want to watch it arrive at another actor. And that's, um, that's actually a little difficult, uh, and it's also kind of pointless. Uh, that mechanism has been tested and vetted, and it works. Um, so you really need to take a step back. If you're trying to follow that message to the system, you really need to just take a step back and look at what you're doing. Basically, what I would recommend is uh, if if you know you're sending a message and the behavior is wrong, you need to look at the receiver. You need to go into that actor and look at that actor's methods because your problem is there. Um, if the behavior doesn't happen, you need to make sure you're sending the message to the right place. And that you go back to the sender and you look at the queue that the sender is trying to put that message on. Uh, Stephen, did you want to interject on that? Or... Okay, um, so uh, so that's one thing to do is is don't try to don't try to follow the messages through the system. You know where they start from, you know where they end. That's where your problems are going to be. Um, the other thing that I would suggest uh, is that you remember that um, an actor is a LabVIEW class. I mean, we have this additional support functionality to turn it into a little independent agent in your LabVIEW system, but it is just a LabVIEW class. Uh, and sometimes, often, it is much easier to debug what's going on if you remember that. Don't try to run it in in the complete system. Pull it out. Run the VI separately. Uh, all your standard LabVIEW debugging tools are, are very accessible to you at that point, and you can just follow the data flow, and that becomes much easier than trying to follow a live actor. Um, and then the last thing that I would suggest is that you pay attention to uh, error handling. Um, <clears throat> the default behavior, which is the default behavior because it's the best general solution we, that, that we could define, is if an actor gets an error, uh, the actor shuts down. And when it shuts down, that will cascade through the entire system. And so you'll throw an error, and if you're not paying attention to your errors, your actor system just stops, and you're not sure why. Uh, so really, the best thing to do is go into that handle error uh, override VI and do something intelligent there. Um, there is a, um, a message class that's available for separate download, although I think it's in the 4.2 uh, experimental release as well, that uh, report error. Any actor can receive a report error. Uh, message and act intelligently on it. Um, so use that. Send the message up the tree and let your owners handle that message. Or if nothing else, just put a, a at least while you're in your initial phases, put some sort of, of, of dialogue or something similar in there. Um, so you can follow those errors around. And then I think Stephen wants to jump in with some thoughts. Yes. Yeah, so we've actually built uh, some tools. There's a, uh, a debug version of the actor framework that is fully instrumented. So it's one of those experimental branches, but you put it in and it generates a whole bunch of debug information that you can actually monitor. 
Uh, there's also something called the Desktop Execution Execution Trace Toolkit that National Instruments sells, and the Real-Time Execution Trace Toolkit, uh, both of which are powerful debugging tools for any parallel system, Actor Framework included. And we've got a couple of uh, VIs that ship with the with the framework uh, that are made specifically for creating test harnesses. Uh, they have some uh, clever tricks of coding that make them impossible to use in a real actor system. Um, because if you actually call launch actor, they'll return an error. But if you're calling it in a test harness, uh, it allows you to basically build a simulation environment around your actor so you can feed, hand feed it messages on your own schedule and see how an actor responds. Uh, and that's documented in the uh, in the actual shipping product. So we've we've definitely paid it, tried to pay attention to the to the debugging experience, uh, both through the the procedures that Alan is mentioning and through some of the tools that I just rattled off. Yeah, and I'll second the vote of confidence on the desktop execution trace toolkit. Uh, it is uh, amazing for getting timing information. If you want to know, uh, if you're careful, uh, reading it can be a little tricky. But uh, if you understand your system, it, it, you can really tell you how long it's taking messages to move through your system and where your bottlenecks are. Uh, I had to work through uh, work through that myself on an internal project about a year ago. So, so I'll second the vote on, on desktop execution trace. Okay, guys. Um, um, I, I think that's uh, the end of our uh, show. I, I, I'd like to thank you for uh, being on the air with us. Um, I also want to oh. mention to the audience that um, there's also a, uh, a Read This First document on the Actor Framework community site, which everyone should go if they want to get started. There's like... Uh, NI Week 2012 hands-on session. There's uh, there's various PDFs and, and PowerPoint presentations and, and other tools there. Um, do you guys have any other suggestions for, for getting started? No, that's pretty much where we've centered everything, ni.com slash actor framework, all lowercase. Okay. Well, thank you, Stephen. You're welcome. Uh, thank you, Alan. Uh, you're welcome. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the VI Shots podcast. I hope uh, the information we gave you... Um, cleared up a lot of things about the Actor Framework and gave you some motivation to go try it out in your projects. Please visit us at uh, vishots.com on the show notes page and uh, leave us some feedback. If you want to hear more podcasts like this, please go to iTunes and rate us and comment there and leave feedback on the show. Until next time, bye for now.